This is it right here. Combining a team of reporters, columnists, and commentators. Don't you ever talk about me! Are you serious? Jack Ebling has brought thought-provoking discussion. What are you doing? That's a damn coaching mistake. Opinion. The customer is the one who decides when the future gets here. Oh, no! The ship is on fire! You have to check the report. Are you kidding me? That game was fixed. And overall infotainment. I'll take Jim Harbaugh. What has he done? Crazy cooter coming at you. Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Thanks, big fella. Don't you ever come back here again. No arguments. Those are called ass tunes. So buckle up. You talking to me? It's time for The Drive with Jack Ebling. Yeah, for some reason or another... You sound a little taller on radio. Great afternoon, Mid-Michigan and beyond, and welcome to The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. Lots of football to talk about. Even though we don't have preps or colleges right now, we do have the Detroit Lions. Some say we have them 52 weeks a year. But it's been a while, Doug Warren, since we've had the Lions playing this kind of meaningful football. With this much excitement in December, and I don't ever remember this much excitement for a team with a losing record. Do you? <laughs> uh, no, they're on a they're on quite a winning streak. That's what's got people excited. They're looking like a real football team for the first time. And I don't know when's the last time this had this complete of a team on the field. It's been thirty years, right? Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the defense. Well, I don't know this. how complete it really is because. Again, they gave up 425 yards through the air to Kirk Cousins last week. Everybody does that now, Jack. They, yeah. you know, the way the game's tilted toward offense, you're going to give up yards. You, but the one thing that they're doing that they weren't at the beginning of the year is creating turnovers, right? Yeah, yeah. They're opportunistic. Right. That's helping a lot. And the offense, uh, this offense can score on anyone, Doug. It leads the league in 30-point performances. And when you talk about consecutive games with 25 or more, you have to go back to 1954. (laughs) Yeah, the glory days, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 65 or plus years ago. Yeah, um, it's different. So, you know, I I mean, I'm excited. I think they're going to win out. Uh, I think they can win Sunday. It's not going to be easy. But the fact that Zach Wilson's coming out of mothballs uh, because of injuries to Mike White, who I thought was playing really well, I think he was – I think he pretty much won the job, really, um, at least at this point for the Jets, who are still themselves fighting for a playoff spot. But I think the way that the Lions can run the ball and control the line of scrimmage, especially offensively, like they've been doing pretty much all year, um, as long as they can keep the Jets' defense from harassing Goff too much, I just think the Lions are a more talented team and playing better right now. They're going to win this game, and I think they can win out, and we'll see what happens. I mean... The way Minnesota's playing, I saw a Minnesota beat writer tweeting last night that, you know, for the first time I've seen any any Minnesota beat writer even suggest this, is that if the Lions win out and the Vikings lose out, the Lions could sneak in and win the division. I don't think that's going to happen, but the way Minnesota's playing, they're kind of going in the opposite direction right now. they got to find themselves. Yeah. When's the last time you've seen a team that was 10-3 and three? And it allowed more points than it had scored. Yeah, I don't know what Chase uh, Michelson said to that. I'm sure you posed that question to him. I have no idea. When I saw that, I thought, yeah, Vegas is taking notice of the Lions. And, and you know, they backed it up by winning last week. So um, even if the rest of the NFL is kind of 
catching up slowly with the the way this team has been transformed. Um, Vegas is certainly on board. I haven't looked at what the line is here in the last couple of days, but um, I don't worry so much about lines when I'm thinking about this team. I just I see progress. They have players. Brad Holmes is the best general manager maybe they've had, you know, since 1960, uh, you know, 65 years ago, 1950s. I, I it, right. it just everything's going right now. And Dan Campbell, I still have questions about his game management, Jack, but there's no question that this team plays for him. His coaching staff that he's assembled and that he's made adjustments to in the, during his time as you know he's made the right moves when he's had to in regard to dismissing coaches and, and shuffling the lineup around with regard to his staff. Um, it's just exciting. I just enjoy this ride and see what happens. I think they can win out. They win out. They probably make the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, it's interesting to see when the Lions are on the road the way they're perceived because Jared Goff has been so good at home and here the Lions are a point and a half favorite so the line has swung yeah it opened with the Jets a slight favorite now the Lions are the favorite but you know the ESPN matchup predictor the computer simulations that they run Mm -hmm. and they do it thousands of times and they have the Jets winning this game 65.6% 65.6% of the simulations. All right. Well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, probably means you ought to take the Jets, getting a point and a half. But the money is moving in the other direction. And for the Lions, they don't have any players listed as out. Uh, they have five players, including uh, Frank Ragnow, listed as questionable. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson also listed as questionable, but uh, something tells me those guys will will play, if at all possible. And you mentioned Mike White. He and Corey Davis are out for the Jets. So, uh, you know, we'll see what Zach Wilson can do. But here's a guy who was the number two overall pick. And I was laughing the other day uh, talking about this with Rick Goslin. And uh, you got a guy who was 53rd in the draft, uh, late in round two, Jalen Hurts. And how many teams had a chance at him? Every single one of them. Right. And now he is the favorite in Vegas to be the NFL MVP. He probably should be. Um, He's just, he wins everywhere he goes, for one thing. He's got the leadership ability, and he's had that since he was a young player at Alabama. Uh, and much like Lamar Jackson, I think behind the scenes, he's worked tremendously hard to make himself a better passer. And, you know, yeah, sure. The Philadelphia Eagles have talent, but they've had talent for a long time and they got that one Super Bowl. But how many years has the Philadelphia Eagles been good and been disappointing in the playoffs with him? They're not. And Sirianni's, they have everything clicking right now. And Howie Roseman's probably the best general manager in the NFL right now the way he's assembled the roster for the Eagles, yeah. and they just continue to, you know, despite the coaching change and, and obviously uh, some shuffling at the quarterback position, they've they've found their guy. Um, I mean, to me, they have to be the odds-on favorite other than maybe Kansas City if you're going to pick a Super Bowl winner right now, a Super Bowl participant. The Eagles are second in Vegas, just behind Buffalo. Okay. Kansas City is third. Uh, but... I- you know, again, where where games are played are going to matter. I got my hands on an NFL uh, pre-draft 
scouting report of Jalen Hurts. Have you seen this? This is amazing. <laughs> Not in a while, no. These are imagine. these are people who are paid yeah. to do this, Doug. Yeah. I would put your ability up against any one of these guys, and I know that you'd have to learn how to fill out the reports, but this is what they said about Jalen Hurts. Very limited passer. Struggles to see the field. Poor vision. Struggles to read defenses. Slow to work through progressions. Not an accurate passer. One read quarterback. Arm strength is average. Personality issues. And then this is a guy, and and he's not identified because he's probably looking for work right now. Mm. We'll be a fullback in three years. Yeah, I mean, who is that? Who would even think that? That's just, you know, I could have been in eighth grade and knew that wasn't going to happen, Jack. I just, I don't understand. I mean, the college game, we've talked about this a thousand times over yeah. the last decade. The college game, the NFL's finally caught up with regard to passing. You know, the passing of Mike Leach um, this week. Yeah. Uh, his impact um, on the game at every level, I think Kirby Smart described it best. Just said, look, the game's changed, and... And when he, Jalen Hurts now was at Alabama, and then, of course, when he transferred to Oklahoma and, and played there with Lincoln Riley, I mean, you could see that he had potential if he just got into the right situation. And all the time, you know, in Lamar Jackson, if Lamar Jackson would have ended up, say, in Carolina or, or with the New York Jets when he came into the league, would he be an MVP player and, and, and you know, playing as well as he did now for Baltimore? Probably not. It's all about situation in, in a large context, but yeah, the people who said that this guy had no potential and couldn't play, those are the same yeah. people that were saying Lamar Jackson couldn't play or, or right. it just, it, it makes no sense. The game has evolved and, and these guys just, I, I don't, yeah, you're right, Jack. It makes me want to go back to college and get my degree so I can get a scouting <laughs> job somewhere. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm constantly mystified by the guy's, who do this stuff and and when you get a guy taken like this and maybe he doesn't check all the boxes maybe he he doesn't fit the mold of what they're looking for he's not tall enough or uh he likes to get out of the pocket too soon which i think is the way the game is going anyway yeah but you get guys like this and then all of the talking heads are there trying to find out where the warts are why he isn't going to succeed they're tripping over each other, trying to talk about him being a failure. And he's not the only one. There are a lot of these guys, Doug. We have seen it. Uh, every time ESPN and NFL Network and they show the draft and, uh, you know, they've got all these reasons these guys cannot succeed, but he's not the only one taken in round two or later who's gone on. Goslin was talking about uh, the all-undrafted team. <laughs> Right, and I'll send it to you, but I guarantee you'd win a lot of Super Bowls. Uh, you know his his quarterbacks uh, undrafted. He had Kurt Warner, right? Uh, Warren Moon and Tony Romo. You forget about how Warren Moon wasn't drafted, and that's a whole nother discussion. You know, forty five yes. years ago about how quarterbacks yes. were viewed um, who looked like Warren Moon. Uh, he had yeah. to go to Canada and bl- blow up a bunch of records up there before he came back right. and did the same thing with Houston. I mean, think, w- w- look at where Warren Moon ranks on the all-time passing yardage list, even after yeah. all these years after he retired, and he didn't start in the NFL until he was in his mid to late 20s with the Oilers. Um, yeah, I. Uh, Bob Quinn must have 
filled out that uh, scouting report for Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I just the people, somebody like that, Dave Gettleman, somebody, somebody yeah. who's no longer um, in a general manager's position. Uh, just right. it, it makes no sense because if you look at the eye test, uh, look at Brock Purdy. Uh, just the eye test yeah. with this guy says he belongs in the NFL and. Right. When you you know he played at Iowa State, big deal. But he played like forty six games at Iowa State, and I think he was like a four year starter. So he obviously playing for Matt Campbell at Iowa State knew how to play the position of quarterback, or he wouldn't have played that many games at the college level in the Big Twelve where they throw the ball all over the place. Um, it just I think NFL teams just need to do a better job of scouting quarterbacks. Frankly, I want to see where the kid from Coastal Carolina who's in the portal now ends up. Grayson McCall, I think his name yes, is, yes, three-time yes. uh, Sun Belt Player of the Year. Those are the right. kinds of players that, and quarterbacks, frankly, that these teams need to be studying um, and and you know planning. I, I, Graham's not wrong. Graham, I know we joke about him being wrong about a lot of things, but a team needing to draft a quarterback or, or bring a quarterback in a new one every year, it's not a bad idea considering the injury issues and, and the way the game is evolving. You can never find too many decent quarterbacks who could step in and win you a game in the NFL nowadays because you're going to need one sooner or later because injuries happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea to have one. I, I don't believe in drafting them quite as early as Graham does every year, but I think that, <laughs> right, uh, right. you know, I, the thing is you don't have to draft one in the first round if you know what you're doing. You were talking about Lamar Jackson when no one else was, and he was the last pick. In round one, but uh, you look at Drew Brees, you look at Hertz, uh, you look at a lot of these guys, you know, and I'm not just talking about Brady. Everyone knows that he was pick 199. Hey, uh, who won the game last week and beat Brady? Yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. Right. And he won again last night. He was pick 262, Brock Purdy. <laughs> so, you know, these guys are there. You just have to find them and develop them. But I want to give you some of the other names on this team that yeah, Gosselin picked. For sure. Right? These are his halfbacks, his running backs. Priest Holmes. He was uh, NFL rushing champ, NFL scoring champ, set the NFL record with 27 touchdowns uh, in 2003 for the Chiefs. Four-time 1,000-yard rusher. Paul Lowe. I don't know if you remember that name, but he was one of the great backs. In the early days of the AFL, uh, rushing champ played all 10 years of the AFL's existence, uh, winning championship rings with the Chargers and the Chiefs. Tremendous back. Willie Parker, who's often overlooked, but people forget when Pittsburgh beat Seattle, yeah, that, okay, I remember Super that. Bowl 40, he's yeah. a guy who turned the game around, had that 75-yard touchdown. And then fullbacks, how about these two, Doug? Marion Motley, <laughs> once again, uh, you know, we talk about race in yep. football and people not being quite ready for this. But I guess if you don't draft them, then you got to play against them, people discovered. That's not a real good idea. How about Joe the Jet Perry? Unbelievable. From Compton Junior College. And he's a member of the NFL's all-time 50th anniversary team. So you're talking about... Uh, you know, through 1970, he's one of the best of the best. He's an all-timer. Here are the five wide receivers he picked. Again, undrafted. Right. 
You go all the way through, and nobody uh, saw Drew Pearson coming. Yeah, he was a quarterback at Tulsa, right? That's right. All right. Wes Welker, <laughs> five-time Pro Bowl player, three-time NFL receiving champion in uh, 07, 09, and 11, led the league in receptions. Lionel Taylor, one of the best receivers from the early days uh, with the Broncos. Uh, when nobody had 1,000-yard seasons, he had four of them. And wasn't he the uh, first player in league history to have 100 catches in a year? If I, was he, he that was. or was somebody else? He absolutely. Okay. Very good, Doug. Back in 1961, the first 100-catch receiver. And how about this guy? He had back-to-back 100-catch seasons with John Elway. Rod Smith, key part of the uh, Broncos' back-to-back Super Bowls. And his fifth receiver, undrafted, a name that you'll love. He's the only guy in NFL history to lead the league in punting, punt returns, and receiving yards. Pat Studstill. <laughs> I had no idea that, that Smith and Studstill had not been un, or had not been drafted. Wow. Amazing. And his tight end, undrafted? How about Antonio Gates? Yeah, he didn't get draft. He didn't get drafted either because they didn't know drafted. if he was going to play basketball or I don't know who yeah. knows. Yeah, Kent State. Okay. How about these offensive linemen? Uh, Lou the Toe Groza, right? Joe Jacoby, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. We see him every year at the Shinsky Orphanage uh, golf outing. Larry Little, Nate Newton, Jim Langer. He said, "I don't have room for Mick Tinglehoff." Uh, he didn't get drafted either. Right. Uh, defensive ends. How about Coy Bacon? Oh. Uh, defensive tackle. Uh, John Randall, NFL sack champ, right. holds the record, the NFL record for most career sacks by a D tackle with 137 undrafted. Uh, James Harrison is a defensive player of the year in the National Football League with the Steelers. Uh, linebackers, how about Sam Mills? Right. Uh, London Fletcher. Uh, you'll love this secondary. Dick Knight, Train Lane. Willie Brown. <laughs> Emmett Thomas. Uh-huh. Uh, Everson Walls. He was Emlyn undrafted. Tunnell. I had no idea. Everson yep. Walls was undrafted. Emlyn Tunnell. Yeah. Uh, Willie Wood, Cliff Harris, and Donnie Shell. And his kickers, in case he gets a kicker hurt, he's got Adam Vinatieri backed up by Justin Tucker. Punter is Sean Landetta, our buddy. So these are all undrafted yeah, yeah. guys. Yeah, it's, it's like a Hall of Fame roster there. Unreal. But, yeah, that's that's the amazing thing about the game of football. There's so many positions to fill. Yeah. And and nowadays I think I see coaches, you know, kind of thinking outside the box. I mean, Shanahan's offense, Kyle Shanahan, right. that is, in, in San Francisco, it's a testament to that system. And it's an injustice to call Purdy or even Garoppolo a system quarterback. Either you can play in the right. NFL or you can't. There's only 32 guys that get to start every Sunday. It's it's ridiculous to say, oh, he's a system guy, to dismiss somebody like a Jalen Hurts as a guy who can't read defenses and can't throw. I mean, did this guy even watch any games at all at Oklahoma? When he went to Oklahoma and just completely picked up where he left off and maybe took it to another level, winning the Heisman, it's just like anybody says this guy can't play quarterback, they're out of their mind. 
And apparently there are plenty of those guys still on collecting paychecks on uh, scouting um, staffs in the NFL. So, Doug, we'll talk more about this. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, the plan is to talk with Tom Deanhart from uh, Gold and Black covering the Purdue Boilermakers, and what a month they have had. Uh, No rest there. they got a new coach. Uh, basketball team is ranked number one in the country after starting the season unranked. Now their two best players aren't going to play in the bowl game against LSU. Uh, We'll talk with Tom in just a moment. Coming up here on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, They have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. 
Jack Evelyn here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River and Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. You're You're listening listening to The Drive with with Jack Jack Evans. Yo, guys, it's a game. It's a game out here I want to play here. SpotlightRadioStudios.com Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, Spotlight Radio Network. Good job, Doug. want to welcome in Tom Deanhart from Gold and Black, covering all things Purdue. What a month for the Boilermakers. Uh, they get the wins they need down the stretch over Illinois and the bucket game against Indiana. They win the Big Ten West, become the eighth team to play in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, sounds like uh, maybe the uh, the locomotive is going right there. Uh, played, I thought, a terrific first half, maybe outplayed Michigan in that first half. Uh, went in a point down, and then uh, Michigan did to Purdue what it's done to so many teams after the break. But now we get Purdue uh, with a new coach. Uh, a lot of people didn't see that coming. Jeff Brom leaving for Louisville. Ryan Walters coming in after doing a brilliant job with the Illinois defense. And uh, now we've got, as you find all over the country, some of the best players not playing in these bowl games. What a month for Purdue football, Tom. Yeah, a lot going on. It was a heck of a way to cap the year, just getting to that Big Ten championship game. It was a nice feather in the cap uh, for Jeff Brom, I guess, on the way out the door. Um, yeah. Then, of course, you left. I, I don't think anybody saw Scott Satterfield leaving Louisville. I do think that surprised Jeff Brom. And yeah. It always seemed like it was a matter of, of – of you know when, not if he was ever going to go back to Louisville. And, right, right. And, you know, with this job opened up, I, I don't think there's any way he, he could have said no this time. Uh, and maybe with mission accomplished to some degree, uh, you win the division championship, uh, one of the best Purdue teams we've seen in terms of excitement and ability to win a clutch game. 
you're playing Illinois. That's a lot of people thought that, hey, uh, Purdue's chance was gone. Uh, that ship had sailed. But I said way back, Tom, that the winner of the Purdue-Minnesota game uh, was going to win the West, and for once I was right. Uh, it, it got a little dicey for a while, but the way Aiden O'Connell played, I thought he was the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten this season. And Charlie Jones, probably the second-best receiver behind Marvin Harrison, Jr., and uh, even Michigan got a long look at how good those two guys were. Yeah, you know, Aiden O'Connell was second team by one and third team by the other. I can't remember if it was the media or the coaches. Yeah. One of them had McNam- not McNamara, but uh, the Michigan quarterback. McCarthy. Second- yeah, McCarthy's the second best. Yeah. You know, Aiden O'Connell had an okay year, I think. Um, it was kind of up and down, to be honest with you. He was banged up for a while. I think that, mm-hmm. that impacted him as well. But still, he was uh, he was the he was the crux of the team, and uh, obviously a big part of their success. So, and Charlie Jones, to the one year was spectacular. Well, I mean, without Charlie Jones, I can't imagine where this offense yeah. would have been. You know, for Purdue to get that opportunity to go to Indy, of course, they needed some help. And that that last weekend of the year, the Black Friday game, the loss, uh, what by Iowa at home, right to Nebraska. Yes. That that, yes. that that opened the door for Purdue, and then the emotions of that day in Bloomington for O'Connell, of course, later revealed that his brother had died earlier in the week, and he still went ahead and played in that game and led Purdue to a win. This is kind of storybook stuff. So, yeah, just an emotional end of the year, and uh, just unlikely, and uh, not unlikely end for for Purdue to get to that to the summit of uh, I guess the Big Ten season in that title game. Every once in a while, Tom, we get a game and we just say, huh, where did that come from? And that Friday game, the day after Thanksgiving, in Iowa City and Nebraska, and nothing to play for. And Iowa, a championship on the line. I guess I'm never surprised with uh, bounces and calls if a team wins. But to take a 24 nothing lead? Where was Iowa? Yeah, it was crazy. You know, we all know this wasn't a vintage Iowa team this year. They had their struggles and issues. Right. But still, like you said, to lose at home with so much on the line to that Nebraska team was a surprise, right? Um, yes. We've seen Nebraska play pretty well down the stretch, even though they really didn't have much to play for. So uh, it, was, it still was a surprise, obviously. You know, the week before, honestly, Jack, Minnesota basically had Iowa dead to rights up in the Twin Cities. And let them right. off the hook. So, anyway, maybe, maybe Iowa was living on borrowed time, but it, it certainly opened the door for Purdue. Uh, but now, you know, uh, they're turning the page, right? Yeah. Uh, that news broke about Brom officially leaving a week ago Wednesday, right? I think it was. And six days later, they're introducing Ryan Walters as the head coach. And Right. Boy, I tell you what, uh, Big Ten's got some – Pretty good coaches, and uh, he's going to be cutting his teeth trying to match wits with Matt Rule and, and Luke Fickle and Kirk Ferentz and P.J. Fleck. It's going to be interesting to see what the staff looks like. So far, he's got the one hire. He's, he's going to bring in Graham Harrell as the O.C., which I think fans will okay. like. Yeah. But how's the rest of that staff going to look? He, he's trying to piece it together, I think, as we speak right now. What about attrition, Tom? Any players 
going with Jeff Brom to Louisville or any others who are saying, I'm out of here? Well, I think there's always the grumbling right after a coach leaves. Uh, I think you settle down. Only a couple guys jumped in the portal on December 5th when it opened up, and one of them was an inconsequential running back, but they did lose a guard, a number one guard. who's a pretty good player. Uh, but otherwise, I think the guys were smart. They sat tight, waiting to see who the head coach was going to be. Now the hire's been made. I think Ryan Walters impressed the, the players when he spoke to them on Tuesday. So far, nobody's jumped in at this point. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. The portal thing go until, I think, January 18th. Now, Jeff okay. Rom did get about uh, two or at least two commitments to flip high school kids uh, from Kentucky, so it's not a big shock, right? So you're probably going to have some tuition. I, I guess I'm not so sure there's anybody on the current roster who's going to transfer to Louisville, but time okay. will tell, I guess. And I heard all throughout this season, uh, once Illinois turned it around after that opening loss to Indiana, uh, that Ryan Walters was a name to watch. That he yeah. had stardom written all over him. Uh, Lauren Tate couldn't say enough good things about him. Stephen Brooks, a regular on this show from 24-7 Sports, was singing Walters' praises all season. But I never thought he would wind up at Purdue for 2023. I don't think anybody did. I think I think Colorado talked to him. He's a Colorado alum. He played there before they hired Dion. Um, but you're right. Uh, anytime you watch an Illinois game, the announcer certainly gushed about Ryan Walters and said those exact words. You know, one day this guy is going to be a head coach. And again, I've only interact with, interacted with him very briefly in the last couple of days. And, you know, he's, he's engaging. You know, he's young. He's 36 years old. He's the fourth youngest coach in FBS. Yeah. It's going to connect to the young people, obviously. Uh, and I think that's going to help. Different personality than Jeff Rom. You know, Jeff Rom was more matter of fact. He really wasn't going to be, I think, the buddy of the coaches. Uh, so, again, yeah, just, just a different vibe, I think. And it's a vibe that's going to resonate, I think, with 18 to 22-year-old players. So, um, it's it, it, is it a risk? Sure. Uh, I think every hire is a risk, though, Jack. I mean, we all thought yep, Scott Frost yep. was going to be a slam dunk, right? Right. How, how'd that go? So we, we never know how these things are going to unfold. But certainly, hiring a 36-year-old guy who's never been a head coach to learn on the job in the Big Ten, boy, that's going to be interesting to watch. Well, I remember on our television show on Sunday nights when Oklahoma uh, promoted Lincoln Riley when Bob yeah. Stoops stepped down. And yeah. we have a regular panelist on that show. I don't know if I give his name, Rico Beard. And uh, he couldn't criticize Oklahoma enough for not going through the process. <laughs> and they, they could get any coach they wanted. What are they getting this Lincoln guy? It makes no sense at all. Uh, how'd that work out? I guess you could ask Oklahoma and Southern Cal about that one. You know, promoting a guy from within, uh, I guess, is a little less risk there. But you're right; it's still a gamble if a guy's never been a head coach. But at least he knows the school, knows the system, knows the program, knows the personnel. But again, it still was a risky hire with a for a guy to to earn his coaching chops at a place like that. But yeah, you're right; we just don't know. It's like trying to grade recruiting classes the, the next day, yeah. or, or NFL draft classes the next day. 
our society demands instant analysis. They want That's opinion. Right. They want spin. And and we give it to them, don't we? <laughs> we're often wrong. But, again, it's like yeah, we, we, we all want to know the future. We all want to know the future. It's understandable, oh, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. But uh, we just have to be waiting and patient and see how things unfold. And we look back over our shoulder and, and get a lot better perspective on things, obviously, right? Tom, uh, when I think of Purdue football, and I think when most people think of the Boilermakers, they think offense. They think quarterbacks. They think passing. And uh, now you got a guy who has uh, made his mark on the defensive side of the ball. Um, going back, uh, would you say Jim Young had a defensive background? Or what about Jim Coletto? Certainly, uh, when you think about uh, Joe Tiller, you think about him and uh, high-powered passing attacks, but a little different uh, emphasis if uh, Purdue is going to be defense first. Yeah, you know, Jim Young did come from the defensive side of the ball. He was obviously a successful head coach at Purdue and then went on to coach an Army for a long time after yes. that. The guy who followed Jim Young was his defensive coordinator, Leon Burtonette, and obviously oh, yeah. did not have success in his five years as head coach. Great recruiter, just never, never, never got it together, though, uh, from a win-loss standpoint. And honestly, you know, Joe Tiller, it's funny, when I, when I, when he was he was, he was was Leon Burnett's defensive coordinator, if you can believe it. Hmm. Leon Burnett had Jim Coletto as his offensive coordinator and, Lee, and, and Joe Tiller as his defensive coordinator. Of course, Joe eventually left and then kind of earned his chops on offense, but he had a little bit of a defensive background, too, but... It's been a while, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and you're oh, right, yeah. for a program like Purdue to, to go away from a, a head coach who isn't really rooted in offense did raise eyebrows. But when this thing started, when this search started, Mike Bobinski had a press conference last Thursday, and he said there was no template for him. He was, he was going to look at coaches of all the different backgrounds, and he was true to those words, obviously, and and here we have Ryan Walters. And, again, that's why the, the offensive hire is so key. And Graham Harrell is going to appease a lot of fans who are worried about maybe right. what this offense is going to look like. And, of course, Harrell's a disciple of, of, of Mike Leach, played quarterback at Tech. Right, right. And the offensive coordinator at USC, West Virginia, worked for Leach at Washington State. So he's the guy sort of from that air raid family who's going to have a quarterback-centric offense that should appease the fan base. You mentioned Leon Burtnett, Tom, and I have a funny Leon story. I, I knew him when he was at Michigan State. He was an assistant coach here under Daryl Rogers. And uh, then when he became a head coach, uh, so we're on the old Skywriters tour where we would go from campus to campus, fly around this little plane, and spend a lot of time with the coaches and get to know them. But Leon, yeah, he was – a pretty creative football guy, but much like Tom Izzo, he was a master of the malaprops. He could never conduct a press conference without getting some words mixed up. And uh, I remember one time we were talking about uh, drug testing. And uh, the question was, how do you feel about that? And he said, I'm a big believer in mandatory drug tasting. <laughs> Yeah, Leon was was uh, was uh, unvarnished, if you will. There you go. That's uh, a great word. A, for a, a good guy, kind of a good old boy. Yeah. Great personality, gregarious. Uh, 
just a guy who could connect to people. And he was he was a terrific recruiter. Yeah, Purdue had He brought in a lot of talent. He brought, he's the guy that got Jeff George to come to Purdue. He right. got Rod Woodson to come to Rod Purdue. Woodson. You know, he was there when they had uh, they had Chris Dishman and Ray Wallace and Rodney Rodney Carter. Uh, just a lot of terrific guys who went on to play in the NFL. He was he was a guy who was who helped recruit a lot of those players. So yeah, I was again a case of a guy who just you know could, could get talent but could never really mold that talent into good teams. I got into an argument with someone. You can guess what school he was from, but uh, I said that uh, I appreciated Charles Woodson, um, Heisman Trophy winner. I, I get it, but I think Rod Woodson was every bit as good or better. Uh, he had a game where he barely left the field, playing both ways, not just as a gimmick. Uh, special teams, you name it, and I think it was the '84 team. Uh, Purdue team that beat Notre Dame, Michigan, and yeah. Ohio State. Correct. Yeah, that was a memorable year. Uh, they opened up that year, the dedication game in the old Hoosier Dome, which is now demolished. They played Notre Dame, and they upset Notre Dame, and they were off and away that year. Sort of a fun year with Jim Everett and company. So, you're right. You know what? Rod Woodson was terrific, obviously, in the pro career. He was on that 75th anniversary team back in 94. I think when he was still an active player. Which tells you a lot, right? He's been in the Hall of Fame already for probably ten or fifteen years. So, you know, when you go to Purdue, you just never have the same accolades. If you go to a place like Michigan, it's just it's how the world typically works. Uh, you tend to get glorified more in a place like Michigan or Ohio State than you do at a place like Purdue. But I think Woodson's pro career more than spoke for itself. And yeah, that that last game in 1986. That was Leon's going out party, and he let Rod do what Rod wanted to do that day and <laughs> talk passes, you know, ran the ball, ran back kicks, and played defense at the game a lot of fans still talk about. So Purdue now has a, a big bowl opportunity, but is not going to have uh, Aiden O'Connell or Charlie Jones for that game. And I understand Drew Brees will be back for that game helping out. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, you know, kind of a ceremonial thing. Although he technically has been hired as a coach, he can recruit, and he can actually be on the field and coach. So it's not totally ceremonial, but it does have some some bite to it. So it's it's nice for the fans, right? It's it's been a rough a rough week or two here with the program kind of falling apart. Coach leaving, and now you got these guys opting out. It looks bleak against LSU. The point spreads up to like 14 now. What's the point of playing? Yeah. So here comes Drew Brees. So I guess he can maybe help rally the troops and <laughs> at least add another storyline to it, right? Right, so right. Supposedly, supposedly, like I said, he can recruit. And the word was he was going to be out with Ryan Walters, I think, maybe today. So, uh, yeah, and he'll be on campus for, uh, I think they got three practices next week. And then they leave on the 21st to send the guys home for the holidays, come back, I think, on the 9th to 26th. So, yeah, he'll be down in Orlando, too, working on the sidelines. So it'll be a fun memory for the for the players, I'm sure, and the fans are getting a kick out of it. Well, uh, Doug was just talking about uh, Grayson McCall. There's so many quarterbacks, uh, ACC quarterbacks. I think there's seven starters last year are in the portal and uh, i don't know if o'connell had a a backup who was the heir apparent but if not i would guess that uh you could entertain drew Brees in your living room telling you to go to purdue and he's gonna make you a pro 
That would carry a little weight. Can't can't hurt, right? Can't hurt. He loves Purdue, and he does all he can. So I know even before Jeff Rom left, he he wanted to get a quarterback out of the portal, uh, a guy who could start. Obviously, um, they've got a true freshman who could be the guy, but he's he's not going to be ready next year. So they needed a bridge guy, so to speak. So I was writing some stuff today about still the portal needs, and honestly, Jack, Purdue's got. And they can use players at every spot, but maybe with the D line. So, I'm sure Ryan Walters is going to have to be active there. And yeah. Or any any head coach is going to have to know how to work the portal, and he's going to have to be able to embrace and, and have a, a good strong NIL program and, and slash collective too, if he really wants to make his program go. So, again, he's got his work cut out for him. I'm glad he's young because he's going to need all that energy. Well, we saw what USC did, Tom. Uh, they got 19 guys from yeah. the portal and State, uh, went from – Oh, yeah. They went from eight losses to two. Of course, you have Caleb Williams coming in, and uh, you get uh, Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff Award winner. But uh, they took the cream of the crop out of the portal, and suddenly, the you know, we're talking about being in the college football playoff. Hello. So I want to talk for – yeah, are you there? Okay. I uh, want to talk for just a minute, if we can, Tom, uh, about Purdue basketball. Yeah, we lost apparently, them. I thought apparently we, we lost them. You want me to okay. get them back? Yeah. Can you can you uh, give it a shot and uh, see if we can get them back? Uh, just let me know when you've got them. It's interesting with LSU and Purdue, we've got the Big Ten West champion versus the SEC West champion. And a lot of people don't realize that, the way that LSU finished, uh, wrapped up with that embarrassing loss to Texas A&M, uh, and then losing the championship game to Georgia, uh, while Alabama and Tennessee just looked on in that game. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if LSU can put a whipping on Purdue, or if Purdue has a little bit more than... Some people thought, I thought the way the Boilermakers played all year, uh, got a lot of production from the tight end, uh, got a lot of production from a walk-on running back, uh, really surprised some people with how hard they played, and maybe some of that was Jeff Brom. Maybe somebody's going to have to come in and uh, get that done. But uh, for Purdue, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity that they haven't had in a while to play in that window uh, against an SEC divisional champ. Uh, you're talking about a New Year's opportunity. Uh, so uh, I look for big things from Purdue. Doug, uh, we're going to voicemail here with Tom. Is that right? Yeah, it's, I've tried three times. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like maybe his, his phone was, uh, was starting to die. Uh, but I wanted to ask him about Purdue basketball because, like Michigan State, started the season unranked. Well, they're ranked now. They're ranked number one. And as uh, undefeated team, they survived a scare last Saturday at Nebraska, had a lead, lost it, and uh, wound up surviving in overtime. But Zach Eady, like so many of the Purdue players, 
that, you know, you think, okay, uh, who is this guy? And he comes in, and next thing you know, uh, he's a front runner for player of the year. Of course, he's seven foot four. I don't know how you guard the guy. But he's become a complete basketball player. He's gotten in great shape. He can run. He can pass out of the double team, which he couldn't do the first couple years. He's not fouling all the time, which was something players would get him out of position and get silly fouls on him. And he didn't have to do much because uh, he was in a rotation. You know, you talk about two centers uh, who were who are very good. And now it's all up to him. He's playing more than 30 minutes a game. And uh, he is uh, the front runner, as I say, for National Player of the Year. So it'll be fun to watch Purdue uh, try to win a Big Ten championship and beyond. Uh, as we said yesterday, Boilermakers have not been to a Final Four since 1980. Think about that. This will be 43 seasons, and they've had some great teams. They've had some great players. They've had a lot of Big Ten champions. But when it comes tournament time, hasn't gotten done. Very, very, very close. Uh, a couple years ago, and <clears throat> lost a game that uh, really had Virginia beat. Virginia wins it, goes on and uh, lead eight, and uh, moves on to uh, win the national championship. All right, we're going to take a break here. We will be right back, and uh, still a chance we might be talking to Tiernan Shouty, Michigan State hockey player, trying to reschedule uh, that call. And uh, we're going to have Ken Redfield with us a little bit later. Saw him in Breslin Center last Saturday coaching a youth team now, but he was a captain of the first Michigan State team to play in Breslin Center in 1989-90. And uh, he's a guy who, uh, very, very important uh, in creating the basket that won the Big Ten title that year. A layup by Dwayne Stevens at the end of the game against the Purdue Boilermakers. So I hope we're going to talk with Ken. And then Jay Green will be with us a little bit later. And uh, we hope we'll have Tiernan Shouty back with us. But much more conversation to come here on The Drive with Jack. It's a Spotlight Radio Network. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. 
One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. You're listening to The Drive with Jack Evans. Go, guys! It's a game! It's a game out here I want to play here. SpotlightMediaStudios.com Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Ebling here with my producer, Doug Warren. Doug, it has been an amazing first half of the hockey season for Michigan State. And now going into the break getting ready for the Great Lakes Invitational between Christmas and New Year's. But team that was picked to finish last in the Big Ten again. And with new head coach Adam Nightingale, a new energy, uh, everything was different. Uh, new lineup, personnel, very much different, and uh, got off to... I think a surprising start after the opening series 
uh, with Bowling Green and Michigan State getting a little more confidence, playing a different style of hockey, much more aggressive style, much more offensive style than fans were used to. And suddenly uh, the wind started to pile up and uh, going on the road, uh, playing a team in the top five in Penn State and uh, could have had a win the first night and then uh, got that, that big win. It was 7-3 to three the second night. I said, well, there's something's going on here. And uh, then uh, Minnesota came in, and Minnesota did what Minnesota does to a lot of teams. Last Friday night, an incredible game. Anyone who was in Mont Ice Arena last Friday night will not soon forget it. Uh, the crowd did its part. It was there in its seat. Before the puck drop, uh, waiting for a chance to explode, and got that when a shot from the point uh, went off the goaltender's glove and trickled in for the tying goal. And then it's 1 1. We want to bring in our next guest. Tiernan Shouty, uh, new to the Michigan State program, but uh, name will be remembered a long time for what happened Friday night with the winning goal. Two-to-one decision over Michigan. Tiernan, congratulations, not just for that game, but for the performance of this team all season. I see now number eight in the pairwise and number 11 in both polls, and uh, your best hockey is ahead of you. Yeah, thank you. No, it, it was a good start for sure, and we're really excited about the second half, but we still got a long ways to go. So we're excited, but we still know we got a lot of work to do. What does it mean when you skate out on the ice and you see every seat filled, you feel the fans almost reaching down trying to have an impact on the game, and then when you reward them, when you give them something to cheer about, it's almost like almost like you have a seventh player on the ice. Oh, yeah. No, it's awesome. And we, I mean, even the Minnesota series, it was packed, and we kind of – we kind of felt like we let them down a little bit the first night. We didn't even score. Like they were waiting for something to cheer about. Second night was a little bit better, but we knew we kind of let them down. So we knew when Michigan was coming to town, like it was going to be, it was going to be something different in the building. And um, I mean, we're just glad we got the win. I'm just glad we got the win and gave them something to cheer about for sure. I mean, it was awesome. Like I don't, I don't remember seeing like after the game. I don't remember seeing a single empty seat even like when we're going around the ice and stuff. Like, right. Usually the place is kind of filling out a little bit, but I don't know. It seemed like everyone was still still there waiting and uh, enjoying the win with us. So it was awesome. And as you told us after the game and the interview room, that was a very important series for you, a game that you thought about a long time. You knew a lot about this rivalry and uh, the series. Uh, What was it like to finally get to play in it and then to score the winning goal? Yeah. I mean, like I said the other day, like it was something I've dreamed about for a while. And I like, Honestly, like it blew away my expectations playing in the game because it's one thing to be on the outside, but another thing to be in that in that game. And like you can just feel the hatred and the passion. And like <laughs> like I said, like the fans they're just waiting to like you said, the fans were waiting to explode. And we finally gave them something too, and it was it was awesome. So even at the end of the Saturday night game, and uh, Michigan got a two-one win in Ann Arbor, uh, tempers erupted a little bit. I thought there was a Kind of a cheap cross check oh, at yeah. the very end of the game. Uh, 
I don't know how something like that goes without a penalty. I don't want to call for a felony, but uh, (laughs) I I thought that, uh, you know, that was uh, pretty low class. And then uh, you guys went at it and exchanged some pleasantries, and uh, you'll see him again, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not going to forget about it. And I don't know. It's just something that happens at hockey, and things happen. And if we weren't wearing cages, I'm sure uh, – might have been a little bit bloodier, but it's college, so we're in the cages. But no, it was. I mean, yeah. things happen in hockey, and I don't know. We'll uh, we'll remember it though. Take me through the game-winning goal. Now, uh, you get that shot from from Krieger from the sideboard uh, that trickles in, yeah. and uh, I don't think anyone thought that was going to be a goal when he let it go. But yeah. maybe a little screen, and the goalie didn't play it well. And now uh, you got a flurry around the Michigan net uh, a period later, and uh, maybe it was Tanner. Uh, Tanner yeah. Kelly had a shot that went through and hit the post and wasn't going very fast. It just kind of sat there. It was yeah. maybe, uh, I don't know, eight inches from the, the goal line, and here you are uh, swooping around. When did you see the puck, and did you know you could get your stick on it? I mean, yeah, I started out like in our D zone and our like our defense made a great play and then kind of had a little bit of a rush, but not not much there. So Tanner made a good play, got it deep. And then I don't think it was Underwood went to the net, kind of put it at the net. Tanner got another shot. got a shot. They blocked it. I thought he was going to score on that one because the goalie was down. And then yeah. he got another one, hits the post. I thought his the second one was going in as well. Hits the post uh-huh. to kind of land there and it felt like it was, I don't know, felt like time stopped. Like it, that puck was there forever. And yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to get to this. And lucky enough, luckily enough, I, I mean, I couldn't really miss that one. But nobody, they didn't really give me much of a fight to get to it because I don't think they knew where the puck was either. But I think uh, watching the video back, you can see them, like, realize, like, oh, crap, like, they're all trying to dive back. <laughs> so I, I had just passed them all. So I was, really couldn't miss that one. But, no, it was, it was awesome. It was surreal for sure. In your entire hockey career, from the first time you laced on skates, do you remember scoring a goal from shorter distance than that? I think that might be the easiest goal, and might have been the easiest goal, but also might have been the biggest goal of my hockey career. So it was, yeah. it was awesome, and I'm not going to complain about it for sure. I don't ask well, the how thing that so many, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing that I like the best about that game, and I think it really spoke to what your team is about and uh, the change in the culture. I've seen Michigan State with leads in recent years. And uh, then the third period, they're back on their heels and a lot of prayers. Yeah. Uh, this third period, the forechecking was awesome. And Michigan, doing everything possible to try to get a goal, only managed five shots in the third period. Uh, yeah. for, for that to happen, it showed that you were the aggressor, that uh, there was no fear in this. Uh, you thought it was your game to win, and uh, for the two games, you outshot the Wolverines by 19 shots. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it just kind of starts with Dylan back there in net. Like, we get a lot of confidence from Dylan. Like, you know, he's yeah. someone that you can trust. And, and then, obviously, our defense, like, our defense are really good. We got a good group back there. So, it kind of gives a lot of confidence to our forward group as well just to be able to just to know that those guys are back there and they're going to do their job and they're going to be smart and we can kind of go off and like I don't know I'd say forecheck and be a little bit more aggressive than than maybe normal just because those guys are back there and they're like they're all smart and they're capable and they know how to do their job so 
we get a lot of confidence from them back there. And then, yeah, like you said, the five shots in the third, that's something we kind of pride ourselves on. Like we work really hard to be able to be the best third period team out there. So I think that's something we, we've worked on. We started out, I think like the start of the year, we kind of were at the start of the year, we were better than teams in the third period. And we've, that's kind of something that we, we, um, I don't know, I'd say we'd pride ourselves on and just that's like something we want to do. And it's not just like by accident that that happens. So. This isn't the first time that you and Tanner Kelly have teamed up for important goals, right? You played with them uh, for a while. Yeah, no, I played with Tanner for a few years for Little Caesars. And yeah, I mean, obviously when I knew he was coming here, it was, it was really exciting because I, like we all kind of, we both committed kind of around the same time. And it was just like, like, okay, this is going to be awesome. Like we're going to go play at college and, at the time, maybe Michigan State wasn't like at the top of the top of the polls or whatever, but we kind of knew that like we knew the history, we knew what it could be. So I think that was something that really enticed us. Just like obviously Michigan State, like you walk in that locker room, it speaks for itself. So it's it's something <laughs> we we're excited about, and like we're we're living it now. So playing for that Caesars team, Ternan, you had some pretty famous coaches, some guys who. Uh, knew their way around the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, Coach Chris, he was he was awesome. I'm pretty like I credit him to everything that I've that I do, kind of in the hockey world. Like, but Chris Draper, me, yeah, Chris Draper. Yep, he taught me so much, and like I, I can't thank him enough for everything he he did for all of us, and especially me because I played for him for a while. And yeah, I mean, like I said, like pretty much everything, like hockey knowledge. Like skill, like I, I credit a lot of it to him because he's, uh, he was really smart and he was a great coach. And I, I mean, I love playing for him. Uh, did you also play for former Spartan uh, and NHL player? I think he played with Edmonton for a long time. Sean Horkoff. I did not actually know. Okay, okay. I, play, I think I he coached there, but he didn't coach you. Know. Yeah. All right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So uh, when you when you think about what this team can do and now comes out of the break uh you've got the gli and then uh, you go right on the road again uh for the start of big 10 play right yep yeah so we'll go we'll go the gli the 27th 28th and we're going to i think it's ohio state so i mean like you don't there's no weekends off in the big 10 especially like i mean right. every team is good and we're like we got to bring our a game every weekend or going to get punished and we can't really afford to get you know like we're in a good spot right now but we can't let off the gas at all because we gotta like i said like every team is good and it's gonna be hard every weekend so um i mean we got a lot we still got a lot of work to do so uh michigan state swept the buckeyes in mun and uh that raised some eyebrows i think you had 10 goals in those two games yeah. Um, now you get them back in Columbus. I'm sure they've got a score to settle. But then you get Penn State in here, and uh, that's a team that's ranked ahead of you yeah. in the polls and the pairwise, and yet uh, I think you outscored them, uh, I don't know what it was, 10, 10 to 7 or something like that, in that series in Happy Valley. Yeah, I mean, I would say, honestly, we're, we're kind of disappointed that we didn't sweep them because – we kind of let that one slip there late in the third when we were at Penn State when we lost four to three. So the next night we knew like we had to come out and play the whole sixty. And uh, they kind of had like a little comeback there where we we got up three zero early. They came back, tied it, 
I mean, that place was buzzing. It was, they got a lot of momentum from it, but we kind of settled down. Like, I think it's a testament to, like, the group we have and the coaches. Like, we were able to kind of overcome that again. Like, we could have easily just rolled over after they came back again. You know what I mean? Like, they came back the night before, then they come back again in the first. We could have easily just rolled over. But, I mean, the group we have, the leaders we have, the coaches we have, I think it's a real, real testament to them. And then we know now that, like, teams, like, I think teams might have been a little bit surprised at first about how we were playing playing a little bit better than they thought, better than the past couple of years. So now it's uh, it's going to be the real test. Teams are ready for us and teams know, and we got that target on our back now since we're we're playing well, so we gotta we got to keep it up, pedal down. Tiernan, I think uh, maybe the key word for this season for Michigan State Hockey is new. Uh, new coaches, new roster, new attitude, uh, new enthusiasm, it's new, but it's old because it reminds a lot of people what it was like when Michigan State was on top of the hockey world, when Ron Mason was the winningest coach in college hockey history, when the yeah. Spartans were a fixture, uh, the Frozen Four, and winning so many championships. Uh, for you guys to come in now, what has been the key that's allowed you to, I guess some of you didn't know what had happened here in recent years, but just say, uh, why not us? Yeah, I mean, I think we got, like I said, like we got a good group and we got a good group of leaders. Like maybe they had some tough years in the past, but they were, they're ready for a clean slate. And the coaches, they, they're, they're putting us in the right positions to succeed. And I think, like, it's a testament to how hard we worked in the summer, especially, like, with our strength and conditioning coach, Will Morlock. Like, I mean, he, he worked us into the ground, but that's something that, like, we're grateful for now because, like, it's paying off and our practices are – the hardest I've ever practiced, and, and it's paying off. So it's it's awesome because it, it's almost like our practices are harder than the games to me. Like it feels like because we're going so hard, battling each other, like going against those guys. Like we're playing against, like we're playing against them in practice. Like they're they're not they're not taking it easy on you because they know the game. Like it's not gonna be taken easy on you. So I think just like I think it's just more of like the hard work and getting back to like being the the hardest working team in college hockey. So. Does that explain why you've had so much success in the third periods? I, I honestly, I think that's 100% why. I think the practices and our workouts, like we still, like we're still working out hard, still practicing hard even in season. So I think uh, that's a huge testament to the work that, like, just the guys and the team have put in. So I, I got to tell you, it was early in the season, and it was after a game. We were sitting in the interview room, and we kept hearing this bang, bang. Yeah. And it was the weights. Yeah. Uh, you guys right above us. And, you know, the game was over. Uh, I think you guys would be out uh, enjoying yourself or having a beverage or something like that. Uh, no. <laughs> a lot of guys were in there uh, trying to figure out how they were going to get better for next weekend. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know if Jamie liked that one too much. But, no, uh, like, I think it's kind of <laughs> – it's Will, like, he, he kind of, like, came up with the idea, like, yeah, we can get an extra workout after the game. Like, we got another day to rest. Like, we got Sundays to rest. So, why not get a little bit a little bit of extra work in? And just that little bit, like, it all adds up. And we can do a few more workouts than other teams. However many more workouts, we can just get that much better. So, I mean, that was kind of, like, that was his philosophy. And I think it was really smart. And guys kind of took it and ran with it. So Sometimes uh, good things come in small packages. And uh, you look at a guy, you can't necessarily tell how strong he is on his skates. You can't judge his competitive instinct. 
How tall are you, Tiernan? Uh, I think I'm listed at what five nine. I like to How get, tall I like to are you? Myself, I like to give myself a little more. I think I'm five nine though. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was I was trying to judge everybody. Uh, if they were standing next to Tom Izzo, would they be looking him in the eye? So uh, <laughs> I guess the important thing uh, a lot of times in hockey, uh, as it is in football, is leverage yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, your maneuverability. And sometimes you find bigger guys and it takes them a little bit longer to turn or yeah. to stop and get that momentum. And, you know, you've made two moves by the time uh, they've decided what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think like just being a smaller guy, like, I don't know, you kind of got to work that much harder and be that much quicker because those bigger guys, like if they can catch you, like they're going to, they're going to hit you and they're going to try to hit you hard. So you just got to outwork them. Cause like, I don't know, being smaller, like I'm, I feel like I do have that leverage where like, if I'm in a battle, like I'm lower than them already, so I can win that battle, yeah. but I still have to work harder. Cause like they might have a little bit more strength or a little bit more weight on me. So it's just like, like I just said, like, I think it all comes down to the hard work. And like, you see that with a lot of the guys, like we don't have like some of our younger guys are all like all a little bit smaller. And I think they all realize that like, yeah, maybe they're smaller, but that doesn't mean you're worse or you just got to work a little bit harder. You know, we're talking with Tiernan Shouty and uh, part of a new wave coming into Michigan state and making things happen in a big way for the college hockey surprise of the season. Okay, I was talking to a guy who said, yeah, this is a cute little story, but, but, now everybody knows about Michigan State. They're going to get everybody's best shot. Uh, second half of the season, uh, things aren't going to be so easy. I said, yeah, now these guys also know what they're doing. Uh, they know their way around the league, and they've got the confidence that if they can win at Penn State, then uh, they can play those teams anywhere. What do you expect the the rest of the way? I mean, yeah, like like exactly like you said. I think um, we are going to get teams' best games because they're not going to be surprised anymore. But I don't know. Like, I think that's on them if they were surprised of how we we're going to play. Like, I don't know. We we put in the work and we know we know we can do it. So we we are confident, like you said. But it, I don't know. At the end of the day, like it does come down to how hard we're going to work, and we do have a long way ahead of us and a lot of work to do still. But uh, I think we're confident and we're really excited for the second half. So uh, when you think about uh, Adam Nightingale and the assistant coaches, uh, uh, all of the effort they have put in, what's the most important thing you've learned from them? And they seem so driven by process and uh, not resting on your laurels on, uh, you know, the only thing that matters is what you do next. Uh, what's yeah. the thing that's rubbed off on you most from this coaching staff? Yeah, I think, I think, like I've said, like a few times, I would say it's the hard work. Cause it's not like there's a secret recipe or a secret formula or a secret system or whatever that we're doing. That's like so crazy that teams can't catch on. I think like he didn't, he's not, he hasn't done like something crazy like that. It's just like basically like put your, put your stick on the ice and go to work. And I don't know, that's just kind of like been the biggest thing I think is just hard work. And yeah, like you said, don't be, don't be uh resting on your laurels, be uh the hardest working team in college hockey and that's what we kind of want to build on from from now on from now to the future like be we're building that foundation of being the hardest working team and guys come here they need to know like they're going to be we're going to be the hardest working team so i think that's the biggest part of it for sure congratulations on a great start 
your Michigan State career and to this season. Going to be fun the rest of the way. And I remember a time when you couldn't get tickets to Monday yeah. Serena, and people used to will them uh, <laughs> when they died. And uh, now, uh, after that Michigan game, I heard more people talking about Michigan State hockey again. And uh, when they tell that story 20 years from now, there's going to be one guy who scored the winning goal, and that's you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I love to hear that. The fans are excited. Just like I mean, we're excited too. So it's gonna it's gonna be awesome. I hope we can keep giving them something to something to cheer about. All right, we're gonna stay right here, Doug, and uh, let's bring in uh, one of my favorites, uh, number twenty for Michigan State basketball, and uh, a guy recruited to play for Judd Heathcote. And uh, some guy named Izzo was assistant on that staff. And you think about the first year of Breslin Center, 1989-90, the captain of that team, forward Ken Redfield. Ken, how are you? I'm good, Jack. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. It was good to see you Saturday. And uh, you look like you had some good young players there with you. Uh, are, are you coach like Heathcote? Well, uh, I, a little bit, to be honest. Um, okay. You know, I try to be honest with the kids and um, a little hard on them, but I also love them, you know, so there's a good mix. Um, I think it's important that they understand, you know, the truth instead of, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially at that age, you know, they're 13 and under. So, you know, they have people telling them how great they are, but they need to understand that they have to work as well. Well, that sounds like Judd. You don't hit yourself in the head during games, do you? No, I haven't done that yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I want to flash back to that season and uh, started with an exhibition game against the Russians. And uh, then you got a little more confidence as the season went on. And uh, I think that there was an injury to Steve uh, he got hurt, and you guys got better, and then he came back. It was like a blood transfusion. I remember Mark Montgomery telling me, uh, hey, uh, maybe Judd doesn't realize this yet, but we're going to win this championship. And then it came down to the last day of the season against the Boilermakers coming in and uh, looked like they had a lead, and next thing you know comes a, a real flurry and uh, Scrum, and you're out there, uh, uh, Steve Scheffler and Tony Jones, and next thing you know, Stevens has got the ball laying it in. What do you remember about that wild finish? The whole day was, honestly, Jack, that whole day was was uh, was special because it was senior night, um, yeah. last yeah. game of the season, and we had already clinched. I think we were already uh, clinched, but we wanted to win it, win it outright. Right. That right. was our goal. Um, it was one of those games where you know we're Purdue's always tough. Yeah. You know, you don't come ready to play; they'll blow you out. You know, so we had to, you know, we had to stay with them and play well. And you know, the game was back and forth. They took a nice little lead. I remember that. And um, we just, you know, every time out, we just looked at each other and just knew we were going to win the game. You know, it, it was just one of those moments. And uh, then Gene Cady still said that you fouled on that play. Of course, uh, Judd thought it was a great defensive play, but uh, the ball pops loose. And what did you think when you saw DJ go in? And uh, it wasn't a dunk, but it didn't have to be. It counted. 
Right. Yeah. Well, I saw. It's funny because I saw Tony Jones years and years later, and that's the first thing he said to me. You found me. <laughs> but um, you know, it was a play where if I couldn't steal the ball, I was gonna foul him. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I pressured him, and I, you know, jarred the ball loose. DJ was in the right spot, and yeah. I was able to kind of run with him to kind of shield Tony off. Yeah. Yeah. And DJ went in for the layup, and uh, the rest is history. And I think about that team uh, set a Michigan State record for wins at that point with 28, uh, wound up 28 and 6. But you go into the, there was no Big Ten tournament, you go into the NCAA tournament, right. and uh, you, you get a couple of wins, uh, survive a couple of uh Close games, and then uh, you're playing in the Superdome, and uh, you're going up against Georgia Tech, and uh, of course they had Dennis Scott and Brian Oliver and Kenny Anderson. Now they were loaded, but you're in great shape. Uh, you've got a win in hand and a very good free throw shooting team too, and uh, suddenly some free throws. <laughs> start to spin out and look like Steve was going to ice the game, and then he missed. And here comes Kenny Anderson down the court. And I still have the picture of the ball in his hand with 0-0 in the background. Yeah. And he shoots. Shot never should have counted, but there was no replay. And uh, Judd was just worried they were going to call it a three-pointer. So he didn't even think about, you know, was the shot off in time. But uh, they sent the game into overtime, and you should have moved on in that NCAA tournament. You are correct. Uh, you know, that's one that haunts, I think, all of us, um, the entire program uh, during that time. It was a situation where, you know, like you said, Joe was disputing the three instead of the, the clock. And, you right. know, it, it's history. It's it's in the books. But, you know, I know that we are were a better team. Uh, I know we had an opportunity to to advance, and we should have. Um, but things happen, and you know we just move on from it. But you know what what I what I hope that everybody got from it, especially the younger players, is that uh, the game's never over. You know, and you, you just got to play, right. and you got to keep playing until the you, you want to say till the horn goes off, but it did. But you know, you just got to keep playing. You know. Uh, I had to tell Judd that. Uh, the shot shouldn't have counted. And uh, it was after he left the arena. And you, you know, he was sour enough at that point. But uh, I told him, and then I ducked. And, uh, you know, he was not thrilled, as you can imagine. Have you watched the game since? Mike Poplowski told me that he's never watched that game. I, Jack, I never watched the game until probably – it was less than a year ago that I watched the entire wow. game. Yeah, I, I never wanted to watch it either. What was it like being the captain of the first team to play in Breslin and then uh, to have that result in a Big Ten championship? Uh, it had to speak volumes about your leadership. Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty cool. You know, it was, it was a situation where, you know, the year before um, when they started the – to uh, build the Breslin Center, yeah. you know, we would take pictures out there and everything. And I actually uh, posted something uh, to some of my, to actually to my, uh, to my teams. Um, I have 
the picture of, you know, Judge shaking Jack's hand and, and we were outside while they were doing construction and we had the hard hats and things like that. Right. Um, so it was kind of a, a cool process. And then um, to actually open up and christen the, the, the Breslin Center and actually right. I scored the first two points in there. And that's kind of like been my that's right. That's my right. moment. And, um, you know, it was a great thing. And then to come back, um, and one of the kids actually asked, asked me uh, Saturday, he was like, uh, has any of this stuff changed since you've been, since since it was first built? You know, it's, it's, it's just crazy, you know, 20, 30 years later that they're asking right. these questions. And it, it, it was a cool time then, you know, coming from the, the uh, Jenison Field House, it was kind of like going from, you know, a basement apartment to a penthouse type deal. And, <laughs> you know, it was a cool time. Uh, can you remember that first basket? It was, uh, what, uh, closely guarded uh, 22-footer, or was it a 360 slam? Uh, I'm sure it's gotten better over the years. Right. What do you remember about that first basket? <laughs> well, I think it was just a layup, actually, but uh, okay. I know it wasn't a 22-footer because I couldn't shoot back then. But um, <laughs> I think it was a layup. I know it wasn't a dunk. If it was a dunk, I truly would have remembered that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this Michigan State team. And uh, you were there for the win over Brown. Still a work in progress without Malik Hall and Jade Nakins uh, just finding his way back after that injury. What do you think the potential is for this team? I think they have all of the ingredients to, to, to make a deep run in the tournament. Um, definitely could win the Big Ten if they, you know, come to play every night. Um, we got great guard play. Uh, we got great wing play. And we got a couple of bigs that are really good. I, I like the freshman a lot. Um, you know, he's got, a, you know, some work yeah. to do. But I think as the season yeah. goes on, especially goes through the Big Ten, he'll get a lot better. Um, it's just a matter of being consistent. You know, you you got to hang your hat on the defensive end. You know, every you know every night the shots aren't going to always fall. So right. you got to be able to play defense. And if we can, you know, defend on the perimeter and stay out of foul trouble down low, I think they can go very very far. And, and you know, as never... a guy who uh, saw Tom Izzo as Judd's chief assistant, and now as a 28 year head coach with eight trips to the Final Four and a national title. Uh, is it the same guy who was uh, Judd's gopher for a while and then his chief assistant, or do you really see a lot of changes in him? The same, Jack. He's the same guy. You know, I think what he what he's doing differently than what Judd did is that I think he's a little bit more personable with the players. Um, yeah. You know, even though, you know, Judd was who he was, you know, we played as hard as we could for him. We loved him. You know, we right. know he loved us and had our best interests. But Tom actually expresses that, yeah. you know, with the players. And I think that, that that you know, that's that extra mile that a player will go for, go, go to, to the lengths for you, you know, when they know and feel that you love them. You know, and I, I think he genuinely loves every player that walks through the door and plays for him. There was a guy who was kind of a mentor for Tom, Ken, and uh, he'd been a coach up at Northern Michigan when Izzo was up there, and then, of course, at Michigan State, uh, former All-American here, and Buck Nystrom. And uh, I asked Buck one time about the secret of coaching and especially about Tom, and he said, 
you have to know how to give them the red ass and take the red ass away. Right. And I think that <laughs> Izzo knows that as well as anyone, where he can chew on a guy and you think, man, that guy's going to transfer. And then that night, uh, Tom's got him in his office for an hour and a half, and then they're going for a car ride or whatever it is. Uh, so you get to see both sides. But, uh, you know, they say uh, before you uh, care what someone knows, you have to know what if someone cares. Right, and, exactly. Uh, I think that's that's been true over the years for Tom. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really uh, affect you. You you don't count in this part of it because Izzo wasn't your head coach. But in the 28 years, he's only had two guys, Ken, who stayed all four years who have not played in the Final Four. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Two players, that's it. Uh, yeah, and everyone else who is, you know, if a guy's there a year and he goes to the NBA, then we're not talking about count. that. But right. anyone who goes through senior day, uh, only two out of uh, more than 50. That is, that's. I didn't know that. That's a great stat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you see it when he has the reunions. Uh, you know what those have been like, either at his basement or or now over at the Gilbert Pavilion. And right. uh, you see all the players come back over the years. And there's something about Michigan State basketball that you don't find with every program. That is correct. And I talk. We talk about that all the time, you know, with with my friends that I, you know, played against. You know, a lot of the Illinois and flying the line. I, you know, ninety percent of those guys are really, really good friends of mine because most of them were out of Chicago, and you know, they don't have that type of thing, you know. And I know yeah, a lot of yeah. programs don't have like the reunion games, the you know, get to a football right. game, get to a basketball game, go to the coach's house, you know, afterwards, those type of things. And I think that that speaks volumes for Coach Izzo and, you know, and everything as to how um, he's tried to link the past with the present, you know, and then also with the future, you know, you can bring in recruits and, you know, they're talking to players that's played before, not just the current players, those type of things. And I think it makes a difference to the parents um, and they understand that, you know, it's not just about basketball, it's family at Michigan State. Talking with Ken Redfield, captain of the first Michigan State team to play in Breslin Center, and that was a Big Ten championship team in 1990. Ken, uh, before we let you go, can you bring our listeners up to speed on what you're doing now besides coaching that youth team? I'm actually the uh, director of logistics for a a production of uh, Fiber here in the U.S. Uh, I'm actually uh, responsible for all of the uh, negotiations and contracts for transportation for seven facilities, production facilities, and then 13 warehouse facilities. Wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's a major deal, and, you know, I'm doing well A lot well of travel involved in that? Where are you based? Yeah, I'm based out of Schoolcraft, Michigan. I live in Portage, Michigan. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm, today I might be in California, yeah. and tomorrow I might be in New York. Right. Um, I don't have to travel as much, but uh, it is required. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing you again at Breslin Center, and uh, it'll be fun to watch this team develop, and maybe it'll surprise some people the way your 89-90 team did. I hope so. I hope so, and I hope they don't. You know, the great thing about now is is that they have, uh, they can go to the monitor and actually look at everything. So, 
if that <laughs> situation ever happens, at least we can get that done. Uh, there you go. Uh, Ken Redfield, we'll be right back, and uh, we're going to bring in Jay Green, proud Flintstone and receiver from the early 1990s under George Perlis. We'll be right back on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, They have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to deanjobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Ebling here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. 
Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member Nick will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game-ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. You're listening to The Drive with Jack Everett. You want to win, don't you? Well, I think I'd really rather try to beat him honestly. Spotlightmediastudios.com Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Eblin here with my producer today, Doug Warren. I want to go right back out to our guest line, Doug, and welcome in Jay Green, Proud Flintstone, former MSU receiver, uh, early 1990s, and would have been just before you got there, I think, that uh, Ken Redfield scored that basket the first year of Breslin Center uh, that led Michigan State to a Big Ten title. Uh, were you still in high school then, recovering from your knee surgery? I was still in high school, and I remember that very vividly. I was... <laughs> It was kind of it was kind of like the the change in in the comeback of the basketball program. I remember that very vividly. Well, let's talk about something else that you're going to remember vividly. Uh, last week, you told us that you were going to go out of your comfort zone, and you were going to go to a hockey game first time, but you got a little tutorial from the people you were seated with. And yeah. uh, then you got into the game. You came over and found me between periods, and you seem like uh, uh, you're a hockey fan now. And uh, maybe the finish was one that would make you a hockey fan, or maybe the team just responded to the fact that you were there. I won't. I won't go out that far to say that I'm a fan. I will say that it was a great experience. The atmosphere was totally amazing. And for, you know, for the first time of doing that, I will definitely say I'll be doing it again. (laughs) Only reason I can't say that I'm a fan because I'm not I'm not really I'm clueless as to what's really going on. But I I did have some I have some great people by me who, you know, was explaining and they were very patient with me. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, uh, clueless to what's going on. I know some media members uh, who I've used that description with as well so uh but to see that game and that finish and that much excitement 
how did it differ from your expectations? You know, I, I honestly went into it without having any expectations because I didn't want to, you know, get too high or too low. I just wanted to enjoy yeah. the actual experience for what it was. And, like, literally as soon as I walked through the door, I could just feel it. It just it just felt different, you know. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that we were playing our rival and right. we won and it was, a like you said, a very exciting finish just made it that much better. So now what do you tell coworkers or, uh, and there are people you work with who are big hockey fans, but what about someone who had never been to a game like you? What would you tell them about the experience? I would tell them that, that if they are a sports fan, that I think is definitely something that they should, they should go and do. And that yeah. I feel like, because, you know, I did ask you, because, I, you know, I know we have been on a slide as far as hockey had went. Right. And you told me that, you know, that, you know, it hadn't always been like that. It just got back that way. So I would definitely say go to a hockey game that may be a rivalry or, or a big game yeah. so you can get the full experience. Yeah. Uh, you know the story about Draymond Green and the hockey game, right? No. Okay. Well, another Saginaw Valley League guy like Jay Green, uh, pride of Saginaw. So uh, then it gets this idea. That before he leaves, and that's his senior year, he's going to see every Michigan State team compete. It wasn't easy to do because of travel schedules with basketball and certain sports only have so many meets and big events, but he worked it out. He did it. And he went to the hockey game. I was not there, but I several people have told me that he got so into it that if he could have reached over and grabbed one of the players, it <laughs> uh, would have been a pure six brawl. And, you know, pounding on the glass. I, I wish I could have seen it, but I can envision it uh, with his personality, how he got into it, and, you know, uh, he doesn't take losing easily. So, Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. And, and I would I don't get that fired up about football or basketball, but he's, he's a yeah. different animal. So... I definitely could see that. Well, let's talk a little football, first of all. And uh, what do you make of these Detroit Lions? Doug and I were talking earlier. Doug thinks they got a chance to win them all and uh, make the playoff uh, playoffs. Uh, they got a tough game with the Jets this weekend. But, hey, they're a road favorite. You don't see that very often. How surprised are you by what Dan Campbell and this team have done? Oh, uh, I would say that I'm kind of surprised, especially the way that they started off. You know, it just right, wasn't right. looking too good. One but, and five. You know, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was kind of like, you know, like we started off. We started off kind of slow and then had a point in the middle where we kind of picked it up a little bit. And I right. think that that's, you know, they kind of in the same situation. They just got to finish strong. And the good thing, I think, right. is that all of these games are winnable. And even more so this Sunday because – Zach Wilson is quarterbacking, so I think right, that right. all Lions fans, <laughs> you don't got to be happy about that. But I, but I, it, I, I'm very happy for Lions fans because they always go into every year really yeah. believing this is the year, and this could be the year. I'm not saying they're going to win a Super Bowl, but I think just yeah. making it to the playoffs, especially the, after the way that they started, to be huge for this team and a big and a big boost going into next year. Hey, Doug, I think I said one in five. Uh, 
Uh, weren't they one and six at the start of the year? Yep. One and six. And to think about possibly turning it around, you know, there's only been one other team that started the season one and six and made the playoffs, and that was Cincinnati Bengals uh, back in the Bill Berge days. So uh, that doesn't happen very often to dig yourself that kind of a hole, but, hey, they have a chance to win nine of the last ten. So if you do that, I guess you deserve to be in the playoff. Um, and they're healthy. I think that's the, the, the other yeah. big thing is that yes. at this point yes. in the season, they are very healthy. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that, you know, sometimes you get that break, Sometimes you don't. You don't go out there and try to get injured, but uh, sometimes uh, the injury gods are smiling down on you. Uh, What about Michigan State now and all the players coming and going? No coaches are going, apparently. Uh, Looks like they will all be back unless there's some late surprise. But in terms of players, a week ago, people are starting to get a little antsy Jay and saying, well, you know, they got these guys in the portal, but now they're getting decommits and the recruiting class isn't going to be what they thought. Well, they now have 10 four-star commitments, which is one more than the school record. Just got another four-star, a quarterback, to flip. Uh, was a player of the year in the state of Oregon and uh, was headed for Washington State. Had some coaching changes there, and uh, Michigan State swoops in. Gets them on campus. And the first time in history, Jay, that Michigan State has had four-star quarterbacks in back-to-back years. Kaden Hauser and now Sam Levin. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, what we've been doing, you know, is, is what we should be doing. And that's, I think, the main reason why I didn't want us playing in a bowl game at 5-7 and because I don't think yeah. we would have been as effective, you know, yeah. in recruiting. So I think that, again, what we were doing is, is good. And I think I, I was listening to you uh, talk to Steven the other day and saying that, you know, that I, I don't even know if we have enough scholarships even for the guys who we have committed. So, yeah. you know, you see guys that decommit, and, you know, I know fans freak out about that, but, you know, a lot of times when guys decommit, it's that the school broke up with them, you know, and, and that's, yes. you know, one of the one of the things that I think we have to consider I think that, you know, by the time Wednesday comes with the early signing period, I think, it, you know, we may even get some more surprises. But I like where we are as far as going in. I think we have filled some filled some needs. And, you know, it's just a matter of now developing the players moving forward. Yeah, uh, Michigan State had a, a excellent tight end coming in, one of the top five players in the state in uh, Brennan Paracheck. And uh, now they've added three more tight ends uh, in the portal. What's the deal with all the tight ends? I don't know. Maybe they're going to start throwing the ball. You know, I was I was a tight end, so I <laughs> yeah. got kind of happy seeing all those guys covered in. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that you've seen Michigan be effective using, you know, multiple yeah. tight ends and throwing them to the yeah. tight ends. and. You know, I think when it's kind of, when 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 you see teams doing something that's successful, you know, I don't see anything wrong with you know trying out the formula. And I'm not saying that that's what it is, but you know, to, to bring in that many tight ends when you still got you know Malik Carr, and well, I guess maybe he might be the only holdover, so maybe right. he needed all those tight ends. Not that I think yeah. about it, 
But I, I, again, I just think it's huge. I think that the, the biggest thing with the tight ends that we got coming in is their experience, you know, and, and yeah. you got experienced guys as, as opposed to guys who, you know, you might have to groom and, and let and give them time to develop. So I think that's the biggest thing about the guys that we have coming in is they have actual playing experience. We're talking with Jay Green, proud Flintstone, former MSU receiver from the early 1990s. Uh, when you think about what the message is here, uh, Jay, sometimes you find a player, and, and you know how this works, where you grow up dreaming of playing for a, a school and uh, you don't have to convince the player. Other times, if a player is being sought by a number of different programs, then it really comes down to persuasion. This year, uh, another factor with that, with name, image, and likeness, and there's a cash component. Uh, Michigan State was uh, the runner-up, as it turns out, for five-star offensive tackle Samson Okanlola from Massachusetts. And uh, I think his heart was with Michigan State, but uh, the money uh, that Miami is putting out there for some of these players, unproven players, uh, pretty amazing. And someone told me that, hey, uh, you never know. Some of these guys, uh, they might be coming back to you a year or two later now with the transfer portal. So you never stop recruiting. Yeah, I agree. And, and I just saw today that a guy would, that I think we were runner up for last year entered yeah. the portal and Keontae Goodwin. That's right. You know, so, so I agree. I just, I, I personally feel like they need, I don't feel like NIL should be a part of incoming freshmen because I, I think it's just crazy that you plan, you paying players, you know, who not even proving themselves. And I think when you look at like the NBA and the NFL, you know, they used to have rookies coming in making these huge salaries, and then a lot of them weren't panning out. And what did they do? They said, "Hey, we need to put a cap on these rookie salaries." And I feel like that's what the NCAA needs to do because it's getting out of hand, and just because. You know, you paying these guys. I, I, I know me as an eighteen-year-old. If, yeah. if I'm if I'm going to school and the school is handing me millions of dollars, or which it seems like some of these kids are getting, I don't know how motivated I would be to play football. Quite yeah. honestly, you know. So yeah, I, I, and I've always said, Jay, and in fact, uh, Izzo and I have talked about this a lot, that there should be compensation. For players, I, I get that. I, I know that uh, with the the hours that they work, with the exposure to injuries, all of those things, uh, there certainly should be something there. But when when you're talking about millions of dollars for unproven players, I'm not sure what what message that sends. And I also think that it should be something that is uh, structured to the back end yeah. uh, when you complete your uh, eligibility and you know you play two years and then you go on uh, you know you go somewhere else then you know that's somebody else's situation to deal with or if you leave early Uh, but if you leave with your degree uh, that's supposedly the idea here right is it's going to prepare you for life that if you do that and then you have some money that's been invested for you uh, then uh, that seems to me to be a much fairer way for compensation. I agree because I've always said that I think that, you know, I, like you said, I agree with players getting compensated. And what I've, what I've always said is they should 
get money put into an account when yep. they get there. Once they leave and they graduate, they get that money to start off their life with. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and then the, the coaches, you know, they get they they get their credit for graduation percentages. Everybody wins. But the yep. way that things are going now is just like a a free for all and you know, you got some of these guys are it seems like they're making more money than the coaches are. And 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 how can you you know, how how can you con- control or contain a kid who's making money like that? We saw Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class a few years ago, and now they all in the portal. Yeah. Yeah, and a team with a losing record, too. And one of the reasons was uh, nobody's taking any coaching. Yeah. So. And if, if you was young and you was making that kind of money, would anybody be able to tell you anything, Jack? <laughs> My wife would tell you, nobody can tell me anything now. So <laughs> I want to talk to you for just a minute, Jay, before we let you go about Michigan State basketball now. And uh, got two wins last week. A win at Penn State that looks even better after what the Nittany Lions did in that 15-point victory at Illinois. And then a uh, pretty workmanlike victory over Brown. But getting guys healthy. Uh, Jaden Akins, uh, working his way back. Uh, Malik Hall should be back by first of the year. And Michigan State has two more non-conference games next Wednesday against Oakland. And then uh, Buffalo, a pretty good MAC team, comes in on the 30th. And then uh, they start the Big Ten season with another pair of home games. So maybe this is a chance for this Michigan State team, to really find its footing. And it's shown signs, uh, what it did going through that gauntlet, that it could be a really good team, but now it has to do it consistently against a tough competition game in and game out. Yeah, and I, and I was very impressed by the Penn State win because Penn State has, for the you know, past, well, it's always been a tough place to play for yeah. us, and they yeah. always seem to get up for us. So the fact that we went in there and got a, a victory was huge. I think the way that A.J. Hogarth played was definitely huge. And just seeing, you know, I feel like kind of what we all knew he could do but was just kind of waiting for to see that happen was huge. And now, you know, we got you know, we got a little break to where guys can get healthy, you know, get some practice time. I know that's always important to coach, you know. So I think that, you know, we should be able to put it all together you know, once we get started with the Big Ten season. And I think it's going to be huge because the Big Ten is going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. So, Jay, what are you doing this weekend when you consider uh, there's no college football, Michigan State basketball, uh, idle, uh, hockey, and nothing there to keep you busy. What do you do on Friday night and Saturday night? Friday night, tonight, I'm not quite sure, but tomorrow from 1 o'clock, Whenever NFL games stop, oh, yeah. that is what I will be doing. It's three NFL games That's on right. tomorrow, so I'll be sitting right in front of my TV watching. <laughs> uh, sounds like a pretty good deal. Jay, thanks so much, and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. All right. Uh, Jay Green. Hey, Doug, I forgot about that. Three NFL games tomorrow. Not used to that on a Saturday. That'll be big fun. Yep. I want to thank all of our guests. Uh, How about Tom Deanhart from Golden Black?
talking about uh, stunning month for Purdue. Uh, football team comes out of nowhere and wins the West. And uh, now he's got a coaching change and a third youngest coach in Division One basketball team uh, from unranked to number one in the nation. Uh, Tiernan Shouty joining us, talking Michigan State hockey and uh, terrific start to his college career with that big goal in the win over Michigan. Ken Redfield, uh, Michigan State captain, year one of Breslin Center. And Jay Green, have a great weekend, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.